Welcome to the Future of Internal Communication podcast series. This series is brought to you by the Institute of Internal Communication and is hosted by myself, Jennifer Sproul, Dominic Walters and Catherine Barnard. How we work is in the early stages of profound transformation. Over the next decade, the entire nature of how we work will change. Technology, evolving socio-cultural attitudes and behaviours, globalisation, climate change, and these are just some of the trends impacting the way we work in the 2020s. While many aspects of work will change in the coming years, some things remain constant. One of those is the role communication plays in our ability to create understanding, meaning, and enable people to perform at their best, both individually and collectively. How we communicate sits at the heart of organisational success. World-class communication transforms working lives by helping people feel informed, connected and purposeful. When we feel seen and heard, we feel our contribution matters. With change as the new normal, the work of the internal communication profession has never been more important. And in this podcast series, we explore the changing world of work to identify the opportunities for the internal communication profession. We believe that a better understanding of the future of work will help us deliver better communication strategies for our organisations. And when we better serve our organisations, by default, we future-proof our careers. We hope you find this podcast series thought-provoking and encourages you to really see the opportunities that lie ahead as the world of work continues to change. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of the Future of Internal Communication podcast series, where today we're going to be talking about continuous change and communication. As always, I'm joined by my regular hosts, Dominic Walters and Kat Barnard, and myself, Jen Sproul. And today our guest is Ranjit Sidhu, who is founder of ChangeQuest and is also part of our master's teaching team for internal communication management. So we brings that kind of bridge of two sides. So welcome, Randy, and thanks for joining us on our podcast series today. Thanks very much, Jen. Yeah, really delighted to be here and to be supporting IOIC. Oh, thanks, Randy. So just before we get started, just to kind of give us that sort of context. And as I said, you've got that sort of unique position of the change management and also internal communication. So just tell us a little bit about your background in, in, in those couple of disciplines. Sure. So um, at ChangeQuest, uh, it's, we're really all about supporting people to make change happen in their organisations. Some of that support might be focused around the people side of change. How do we communicate and engage with people and support them to bring them along on that journey? It might also be, though, around effective project and programme management. So actually, how do we get that stuff delivered? Um, so we cover both the people side and the delivery aspects of change. And of course, the golden thread across all of these is absolutely the communication and, that, and that's why I was so keen to really learn as much as I can, you know, with, with the masters. And it's just from experience. It, it, you just can't get projects delivered successfully or change done without the communication piece, which is critical. Well, Roger, let me pick up on that because you use the phrase golden thread to describe communication, which is I think, great. Uh, lots of communicators listening will be delighted to hear that. But it'd be great to get your perspective as someone who uh, spends a lot of time advising organisations around change as to where exactly communication can have most influence on successful change and how it can enable that change to, to be an effective transformation. Um, okay. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Um, 
the, I mean, there are so many areas. I think the, the starting point, something that's really hit home for me in recent years, actually, is the lens that people look through, the frame in which they're looking at change is absolutely set by the communication piece right from the very beginning. Um, how they perceive it, you know, is this efficiency savings? Is it about growth? Is it um, that, that ab- whether we do it intentionally or not, <laughs> it absolutely happens. So it sets the scene in terms of people's perception about where that change is coming from. I think another big element is helping people make sense and meaning of that in terms of then what does that mean for me? What does it mean for the organisation? And what does it really mean for me? And then, of course, you know, communication helps with sustaining the momentum through that, through the upheaval of that change, and then sustaining the change anyway. Um, But it helps with reducing anxiety. It helps with less resistance, increasing trust. Yeah, it's hard for me to say which of those is the most important, but because it's really all of those things. But, you know, ultimately, it then benefits the organisation in terms of being able to ensure benefits and return on that investment. Yes, I'd just like to, I think that's a really interesting point that you've made there, Ranjit, um, about change and about what it means for me. You know, we talk about transformation programmes all day long in the working world, but actually change is a very personal process. And I think that, that anybody confronting change of any kind kind of needs to feel safe we don't want to be we don't want to be looking at anything that is going to make our futures seem unstable and uncertain so I think the messaging around change always should be skewed towards the personal rather than the enterprise or the organizational because when we take notice of how people typically respond to change that they haven't sought out for themselves their starting point is is potentially one of fear so what does this mean for me as a really poignant footnote as far as I can see and and I think as internal communicators you know that that that's a really important thing to remember and they have an important role to play in in that because much of the communication that sort of um, is thought about, shall we say, at the top is more organisationally driven. Mm. It's about the organisational, that frame. And so I think as internal communicators, if they can continually be looking at that, as you say, um, it's in that frame of, well, how do we impersonalise it? How do we connect with people? How do we make this more human? It sounds, you know, that sounds more like what you're saying as well, Kat. And I think it's something which uh, leaders need to be reassured about because I've still come across situations where leaders through change see their communication role as being clear, which is true, but also about selling the change. And there's an element of that. But they, even now, I think, find it harder to 
engage people about the change, to have conversations about it, to listen to what people are saying, to be clear about what's staying the same and what's changing, um, mm-hmm. and also how people can help shape things and, and manage things. And it's that having a conversation and creating the safety that Kat talked about where leaders find things most taxing, I think. And what, and Dom, what do you think makes leaders nervous, nervous about having that conversation in a way where it does feel more personal? Um, I think part of it is around confidence and their personal skills. So I remember someone saying to me a while back when I was talking about you must engage people in conversation. And he said to me, the problem with that is people will get engaged, by which he meant, I think, he was going to be asked questions he didn't know the answer to. So I think having that spotlight um, so part of that, as you know, is, is shifting the role of the leaders from being the oracle of all information to being a facilitator of conversation. And it's okay to say you don't know stuff or you'll find things out. So I think it's, it's a fear of being uh, exposed. I think it's a lack of skill to some degree, which is a huge irony because the skills yeah. we're talking about are the skills I imagine most of us can use in our personal lives all the time. So demonstrating empathy, giving people time, listening effectively, responding in, in the right sort of way. But a lot of leaders find that very hard to do it, or sorry, a, lot of, a number of them find it very hard to do when they get into into work. So I think some yeah. of it's skills, some of it's around confidence. And I think the, sorry, the final thing is about um, having the time. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. if, you, if, if you ask a team leader to have a conversation about a change, their initial response is often, I haven't got time to do that. I need to get in there, tell them some stuff and, and move yeah. on. Yeah. Now, we know that's a false economy, but I think that preys upon many leaders' minds. I mean, what, what do you think? Sorry, those, those are my thoughts, but how do they compare with your thoughts? Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's interesting and certainly something a shift that I've seen is um, because, you know, we're faced with more and more uncertainty. It's not like before where maybe we had a very clear idea of exactly what was going to happen, very stable requirements and stable conditions, really, where I think it was easier for leaders to you know, be directive and say, this is the solution, this is the answer. Whereas I think more and more, there are so many unknowns, no one person does know the answer. So I think leaders can get quite uncomfortable with the fact that I'm in this role, people are looking to me for direction, and yet I don't actually know what the answer is. We've got to figure it out all together. And so I think that shift, I don't know if you've seen that shift where in terms of that style, you know, they, they, they can't be directive anymore. It's, it's much more about creating the right conditions and, and facilitate the conversation to see what emerges in terms of the ideas. I was just going to say one of the things that I've always said, and I, I don't know if this is true, and this is just me thinking, you know, what I think out loud, is I sometimes wonder with change, and, you know, maybe this is where change management and communication kind of jet against each other as, I guess, disciplines or theoretical approaches, yeah. is that we see change as a Gantt chart. It's a linear process. It has, it's task-based. It's you start, there's lots of multiple lines that all fall over each other, and then we get to the end, and then we deliver it. And that's what change is. So we just have to communicate within that linear change task based mindset. Yeah. And I just feel like that's probably where we're, where we're finding that just of things that actually do. Is there a challenge in perhaps how the discipline or the, or the constructs or theory of change management comes against perhaps what should be a more circular approach as opposed to a linear approach of communication? 
Yeah. And, and, and certainly in terms of we, we've seen this happening in terms of delivery approach, getting things delivered, also with change um, over the decades, you know, th- th- there was initially a tendency to think about planned change in exactly as you're saying. And actually, this is something I talk about on unit two of the master's programs, the, the sort of history around the approaches to change. Um and, and really then a shift towards a much more emergent change where actually we don't have all the answers up front, like you say. Um, it's not linear at all, much more iterative, much more agile. And it's interesting for me how with internal communications, again, it can vary a lot in organisations, but there can be a tendency to want more certainty to want to wait until we've got more information. Sim- similar sort of pattern to the leaders, really. And I would really invite internal communicators to, to, to reflect on actually what it is that they did to deal with the pandemic. I, I think it's been the most phenomenally challenging year for them. They're absolute heroes in organisations. So, and that wasn't based on having full certainty. And clear plans and the gun chart. They were evolving their approach and, and adapting. And the way I see it is that's exactly what we need in order to support change in organizations today. If I could just pick up on that as well, because the, I think the, what we found really helpful with leaders, particularly in the last 18 months, is this shift of from um, a definite to, to basically infinite thinking, from finite to infinite thinking. Uh, I know Simon Sinek talks about it, and it comes from some th- th- theories in the 80s as well. But uh, the, the fact that if you start to see things in an infinite way, then the idea is to keep things going. It's There's no definitive timescale to it. So uh, you, you basically take things as they come. You uh, respond to things. Uh, you're, you're heading in the right sort of direction, but uh, you don't know where the timescale is going to shift. Whereas if you see everything as being definite, I think it gets very stressful. Yeah. Because people start to say, this must be sorted by then. I must know all about this. I've got to get this sorted. And, and that's not always the case. And I find that quite a, a useful shift. And yeah. you can see leaders often relaxing when you start talking about seeing things in a more infinite way. I, I would um, throw something in there as well, which I find myself mulling on quite a lot. And it is around how we perceive business. And I think definitely, definitely, since the explosion of the internet and digital communication technology, where we have got access to so much more information, what we've seen is an explosion in in kind of how-to life hacking. And we tend to perceive business as a science, dating right back to the um, start of the earliest 20th, early 20th century with Frederick Taylor and the Scientific School of Management, that's, we tend to believe that if we do things in a certain way, we'll get these results over here, X plus Y equals Z. Back to Jen's point about the Gantt chart, you know, if you map it all out and it looks pretty on a, on a screen, that's, you're going to get this result and that's the result that you're going to get. Whereas actually I'd argue business is as much an art form and if we think about art and we think about the creative process there's no guarantee that you're going to get exactly the outcome that you want you'll get close to what you had in your mind's eye but it's 
it's an imagination. It's a creative process, isn't it? It's not something that is um, bound and static and this block plus this block equals this block. And I think, you know, as we lean into increasingly um, turbulent uh, times that are full of, you know, that are full of continuous change, we perhaps do well to remind ourselves that business is as much an art form as it is a scientific process. I think so, I, I kind of think the science of it is the easy bit because it's all very laid out and it's all quite measurable. But actually, the art piece is that uncertainty, isn't it? And yeah. who wants to be uniform anyway? Who wants to be exactly the same as the next person? Which kind of makes me feel a bit liberated. Mm -hmm. Which is why I think it's so important that leaders establish the right relationship and trust, going back to what Roger was saying earlier, with their teams. Because if you're going through lots of period of uncertainty, you'd much rather do it with someone you trust and thinks got your back than someone that hasn't. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I really like what you're saying there, Kat, because, you know, yeah, I mean, all these Gantt charts, all the methodologies about delivery are exactly that. You know, it's where we can control these things coming together by a set date. What's not taken into account then, of course, is the human factor. You know, actually, human beings, they are complex. You know, they yeah. have their own minds and emotions and feelings and stuff that gets in the way. And um, and really, complexity theory as well, it, it, it's, it takes, you know, that's that really what it's saying is that there are so many more different components, um, agents or people coming together, each of them interacting so you simply can't control that. And whereas I have, you know, organizations did traditionally try and control the messaging, did try and do it the whole top down, let's get a really consistent message, cascade it down, and that it will land the way that we intended it. But of course, people talk to each other. There's all that cross communication going on, you know, conversations at the water cooler, over messenger, over teams, whatever it is now. Um and we see that in the world with social media. Yeah, government might be trying to trying to sort of give set messages about, you know, whether it's the vaccination or the COVID, etc. But of course, there's so much other noise. It's just impossible to really control exactly where and how things will land. So exactly as you say, Don, we're much more reliant then on creating an environment where we can help those conversations to happen for people to make meaning of this and um, think about, so how do we move forward, but in that really safe, secure way? Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, when I think about the internal communication profession, I'm minded to think that most people who work in that, in that zone would consider themselves more creative than scientific, I'd, I'd imagine. And I think, you know, this this conversation and, and really kind of doubling down on how people change um, lends itself beautifully to upholding internal communication as an art form because mm -hmm. it's the art of bringing people together and the art of motivating people to set off in a certain direction regardless of the fact that we don't precisely know what the outcome will be. This is what we, where we want to head. And we know we'll get there if we're all together on the journey. There might be some detours, but we're yeah. all together. And actually, the, 
the act of being together is the most important piece. And I say that because, God, it's so important. I don't know what your thought is, um, Ranja, about the pace of change, but definitely if we think back 10 years to 2011 and you think back, smartphones were reasonably new, Facebook as a communication channel but also a social disruptor which it's turned out to be we didn't know anything about the full potential of the social media platforms and I think what we've got now we you know at working the future we talk about a convergence of forces which is a bunch of big high level meta trends all kind of culminating and, and crashing together at the same point to create total turbulence if you really want to unpick it and I think we have to now is kind of a watershed moment for getting better at how we deal with change what Ranjit what would you say about you know what's your perception of the pace of change and and where we're at today um well as as you're saying there are so many different factors that contribute to the pace of change, you know, the different um, conditions. So whether it's the pace of technology increasing, whether it's environmental factors, which we're sort of inundated with, whether it's legal, you know, social, etc. So the pace has absolutely increased. And that's, I think, one of the biggest differences in with what we're dealing with and the level of uncertainty which is why, you know, much of what we've talk, been talking about is so relevant. It's being able to move forward together and think together and equally with the communication to enable those feedback loops, feedback up, let's try and feed, so that we haven't got, you know, little pockets of conversations going on in one place and another place that are disjointed, you know, people working in silos where the, the really getting those feedback loops and staying on top of it to, for then leaders to make sense of what are the patterns that are emerging. I think communications has a really important role to play there as well. So, yeah, I don't, it, as you say, the pace, all of these factors are contributing to the pace changing, but the pace is not going to slow down. Yeah, mm. we'll look back in a couple of years' time and go, boy, wasn't it simple then? Things mm. were so much simpler then. You know, um, so that so we ourselves have to keep adapting our approach to that and I think what there's something really interesting about that as well just again thinking out loud like Jem was saying I think um it's really easy for us at a granular kind of human level to get really caught up with the idea of the pace of change which turns out to be quite stressful you know feeling like the world is whizzing along in front of you without you being able to catch your breath. That's a stressful experience. And and I think the innate human response is to try and keep up with it. But I'd argue perhaps actually the opposite is what is required. And, and this is kind of where mindfulness and meditation perhaps comes into, you know, the whole well-being agenda. Actually, the best response to frenetic change would be to form community and to sit out for 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour, and just take stock and collectively sense make what are we seeing? What are we noticing? How does it make us feel? 
when we come together and we talk about those kind of things, we naturally calm ourselves. But also, you know, um, if I'm feeling really anxious because I feel like everything's too frenetic, but you're, Ranjit, a little bit calmer, you're going to calm me down. And we're all going to come out of that sense-making process just a little bit more balanced and ready to deal with getting back onto the roller coaster. So there's absolute um, requirement almost to just take those regular times, times out, time out, sorry, and just check in with one another, yeah. which is restorative, but also you kind of refine your cognitive balance then as well. I think you just become better able to make sense of things. And, and it's really interesting you say that, actually, Kat, because that's exactly the conversation I was having. Uh, it Actually, it was more to do with reflections on how we dealt with the pandemic and what were some of the things that people found to help with their well-being. And, you know, and, and I was thinking, you know, actually, rather than trying a sort of scattergun approach and trying about a thousand different things all at once, actually, just the standing still and clearing your head you know, looking in your garden, taking a few deep breaths. I think most people found a way, you know, to have some of that stillness, to quieten the mind. And what's interesting for me is that with the shift in the way that organisations change approach, change their approach, some of these things that have traditionally been more about individual well-being and building personal resilience are the things that are coming into the practice of managing organisational change. And really, I think I would say in the last year, we've almost got more permission to do that more overtly because it's like organizations have become a bit more human. I mean, certainly with my research that I did around emergent change and how teams adapted in during the pandemic was very much about that, that they were making time to just stand still, mm-hmm. check in with each other, be more human, reflect on where they are in order to then think about priorities and move forward. So I think it happened accidentally But that's actually, I would say, a really positive shift in how we go about doing or managing organisational change moving forward, given that the pace will not decrease, given that we will continue to have the high uncertainty. So that's certainly, I think, more applicable in emergent change. But really, even some more traditional models of I think many of our read, um, listeners will be familiar with. So Bridget's idea of transition, who really talks about acknowledging endings, mm. uh, you know, uh, being respectful of the past and acknowledging endings. And really, we got so busy last year, you know, trying to adapt quickly, run at 100 miles an hour, you know, keep going and, and learning new ways of doing our online shopping or you know, having um, forums with our teams and running workshops. But actually, I think very few people, very few organisations really took the time out to just acknowledge, my goodness, there's a lot of stuff here that just ain't coming back. 
and, and and really for many teams that I've worked with, it was more near the end of the year where they did some of this sort of restorative practice type stuff and actually just reflected on, let, yes, it's great where we are and the progress we've made, but let's just also take a moment to acknowledge what we're leaving behind here. I think that's a really interesting point, Ranjin. It's something actually I've talked a lot with my team about. The, just the head office team at IOIC, you know, because we have, as like many organisations, we've had to transition our business in the last twelve months and the way we deliver and actually how we how we commercially run to to how we work and and we just like everybody when you're in that crisis moment, it's amazing how quickly you adapt as a human. It's amazing how quickly you meet those challenges. But there was certainly that conversation at the end when we were like, "Whoa, what just <laughs> happened?" Are we okay? What does this mean? And I think we're still trying to have those 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 making sense of it conversations. And you know, and, and we're talking about like next year and how we plan that out. And actually, the narrative that we're going to learn together is okay. Yeah. Uh, and let's have that narrative. And and I think that you know I can talk about it from my position as you know as forget the sort of what we're talking about as internal comms, but actually my job, my day job, if you like, which is to run a business, which is fundamentally to make it commercially work, financially viable, to make sure my team are paid, that everyone's mortgages are taken care of. That's really important, that we transition with the market, that we're competitively relevant, and all those kinds of pressures that, that are driving it, that, that weigh heavy on, on everyone's shoulders. And I guess is that where is that there's so much pressure for continuous change. And I think that we can certainly understand why in the last year, but outside of that, is it, do you think that the commercial market and there are other forces that perhaps leaders or organizations are dealing with where they're like, God, that's a lot of pressure. We've got to keep going. Why can't we just stand still? What do you see as the main reason people want to constantly, or organizations want to instill constant change? It, it, it's and it, it's an interesting one, um, really, and I and I can't say I've I've done any research around that um, to base it on facts, but my sort of inkling is that I think before it probably was more commercially driven, you know, that, um, but I but now I would say it's much more driven by the changes, the the technology changes the disruption in the industry. Okay, you could say that's commercially driven, but that level of sort of disruption that the technology is driving and also the environmental factors, you know, responding to COVID, et cetera. Um, but I I mean, as a small business, and I, I really, one thing that I'm finding, and, and these are more conversations that we're having actually even with larger organisations is that, Really, if we if we really focus on our purpose and our values and what we're really getting up in the morning for, that really gives that sense of groundedness. So for one thing, it helps deal with the uncertainty. But the other thing um, is once you feel really focused on that, then what drives it is that passion for fulfilling that purpose as opposed to looking externally and being driven by what your competitor might be doing or what they might be doing. And I think that shift is a healthy shift for any organisation. Yeah, I can I can get that shift. And I think, obviously, there has been, as I said, in my role, that and there's market pressures and there's all those things that you carry heavy weight on your shoulders about and they've kept you up in the last year like they've never kept you up before. Mm. Um 
But I think that when we did do that piece of like, actually, there's so much pride in that purpose and we want to help people be better. And we know why we get up every day. And actually doing this is really helping us feel like actually when we reflected back on it, I feel really good about myself, feel really good about what we've done. We didn't do any, we did some things without you know, any sense of reward. We just knew they were the right things to do. And actually then, so when you take that reflective moment, you take that stock, you feel almost re-energized by yourself to kind of keep that going forward. And actually that's a reflection going, that was okay. We did all right with that. And actually that purpose holds us together. And actually it's not so scary. So let's take that mantra forward. Yeah. And I think it's that energy that's really sustainable Whereas just chasing things externally or trying to keep up with, you know, the, the competitors is, is just draining. Raj, let me ask you then, because one of the things that's come through all we've been talking about is the essential role of communication in helping organisations transform. That's probably a better word than change in some ways, because as you were saying, it's about how people start to deal with and process what's happening around them. So to, to round up, round up it would be great to get your advice for communicators listening to this to say, you know, how can they best equip themselves to make sure they're at the forefront of helping their organisations transform effectively? What could they do? Um, well, one, I think they're doing a brilliant job already. I mean, it's pretty amazing <laughs> what they're, they're doing. And they just, you know, they really need to give themselves a big pat on the back for the phenomenal work that's gone on in the last year. Um, and two, I think it's very easy to focus, I think in their role, is all about focusing on other people, right? It's about focusing on supporting the leaders and the managers and the staff, etc. I think the starting point could be that they focus on being role models themselves and role models for, you know, how they adapt to change, which, you know, clearly they have had to in the last year. Role models for how they deal with uncertainty, how they work in a more agile, adaptive way. And that role modelling itself is going to then help them, help leaders be the role model in that way. Um, so I would say, you know, that that's really the, the sort of biggest thing. But it is around those skills to be comfortable with change, comfortable with uncertainty, Um being, you know, putting the communication out there, even though it might not be perfect, even though they might not have all the information, um, basically doing all the things that they need their leaders to do as well. And that's really interesting about saying things or putting out communication when it's not all there, because I know that's that's a real struggle for some leaders and yeah. certainly for communicators. But uh, even if you have to say these are the things that need to happen before we'll, we'll have this information, it keeps that conversation going, it keeps the dialogue going. Yeah. I also think that it plays into that point, doesn't it, around listening and those feedback loops that we're going to talk about, in, you know, down in another episode as well in more detail. But how can we perhaps, as a skill as internal communicators, enable that dialogue? I've always loved when um, an, an, an event years ago when someone highlighted to me the iceberg of ignorance. I've always loved that. You just Google it, which is you know like four percent of actual leaders know the problems in the business, and it's a hundred percent of the of the employees that know what's going on. And that ability to be agile and that ability to deal with emergent change and to keep going and to understand that is actually you need to make sure that thread of communication where you're not actually going. I'm going to talk to you about a change. I'm just going to talk to you to understand what needs to be changed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really, I think, a shift in 
okay, you've given me a change program, I'm going to do a campaign, and then we'll get this done. And these will be the measurable outcomes. And there will be an element of that, I think, for, for certain projects, where that, where that has that clarity. And there's always going to be an element that says systems change, and, and you know, where we've got to adapt to perhaps the way of some things that are done. But actually, is it the skill of internal comms now to kind of go, but Yes, we'll help you with that when you bring me in on a change project. But actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to change the way you can we communicate internally so that we take that constant conversation so that we enable that emergent agility, continuous change to happen through listening and understanding um, and dialogue so that actually as a collective, we can do better um, rather than sort of going as somebody that creates a change up here and then just forces it downwards. I just think that's, that, that for me is one of the things I think that's going to be quite a critical thing as well. So it's quite a, a mixed pot perhaps of change management that we need to be looking at. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, Angie, that was a fascinating conversation. I think we really, I think there's a lot to be proud of. I think we can certainly take that away. <clears throat> there's a lot to look forward to. And that is that agility and that immersion, but also just really and that role model piece, I think, to take that away. Let's let's lean into the uncomfortable, understand the uncomfortable, and be comfortable with the uncomfortable. If any of that makes any sense, good luck to all of you. <laughs> Again, thanks, Dom. Thanks, Kat. And thanks, Renji, for a fascinating conversation. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks a lot. This podcast has been brought to you today by the Institute of Internal Communication and is produced by Jessica Williams and Shabi Tolu Ogun Pulu.